0: At this time Paul and Stacy and Luke are going to come forward and they will be reading God's word to us this morning.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24:13 through 27. This can be found on page 1642 in your Pew Bibles. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him,
2: Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things?
1: Jesus asked.
2: About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see.
1: He said to them,
0: How foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory?
1: And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks, Thanks be, to to be to God.
0: brothers and sisters in jesus christ this reading this morning came from the gospel of luke and that's because we've been looking at luke ever since the the new year began and especially in the season of lent and so we wanted to finish up with uh, with the resurrection story from luke as well this was just a part of that story and i invite you to to read through the rest of luke 24 sometime today as you celebrate uh, this resurrection sunday One of the things that you'll notice there in the wake of the empty tomb that you find in Luke 24 is, perhaps surprisingly to us, a lot of confusion, actually. People are puzzled. Eyewitness reports seem like nonsense. Even the Apostle Peter um, leaves the tomb not more convinced, not growing in faith, so to speak, but he leaves the tomb wondering wondering. And more than that, folks are just plain sad in Luke 24. Not what you would expect if perhaps you were invited here by a 21st century Christian friend, because when we tend to talk about Easter here in the church, we seem confident, we seem to have it all figured out. But I'm not so sure that we do. I have in my garage an old uh, Volkswagen Beetle that I'm supposed to be restoring. And uh, when I bought the thing, the shell was basically in place and the wheels were on. but, But the whole interior, I mean everything, the seats, the controls, the chrome pieces, the window cranks, the lights, the wires, the mirrors, the screws, all the fasteners, all that stuff was just kind of thrown in boxes and then thrown inside of the car. And so in a way, to put this thing back together, or to restore it, it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, right? You, you gauge all the pieces that you have, and then you start dividing them up. You put all the edge pieces over here, and then you sort of divide up the others by color. And, and finally, if you think you have everything, you can begin to go to work. Well, now imagine that you've got all of these pieces to this car laying on your garage floor and you begin to sift through them and you realize slowly that you don't even know where all of these parts go. In fact, you don't even know if all of these parts, <coughs> parts belong to your particular car. That's a bit unsettling, let me just tell you, especially when your wife really wants that car out of the garage at some point not that mine does or anything like that but if you can imagine that sort of situation then I think you have a better idea perhaps of of what Cleopas and his friend are experiencing on the road to Emmaus I mean Cleopas is sad and confused and puzzled over this person of Jesus this person that he thought he knew He doesn't know how to put all the pieces together, especially the pieces of the last week or so. Cleopas thinks he's dealing, in other words, with one particular car. He thinks he's dealing with a Volkswagen. He gives that away in verse 21. He said, We had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Okay, that's the picture that Cleopas had formed in his mind of Jesus, of the Messiah. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It was a very specific picture, a very specific Messiah. In other words, Cleopas is thinking that Jesus would be a redeemer along the lines or the likes of Moses. Okay? Moses was really the first redeemer of Israel. He had redeemed Israel from slavery. That's what Passover is all about, right? And ever since the time of Moses, all of Israel had been waiting for another redeemer to come, like Moses, and redeem the people from slavery. In this particular case, Cleopas was waiting for a redeemer that would redeem Israel from the oppression under Rome. Even more than that, perhaps, He was waiting for a Redeemer who would would liberate Israel from all pagan domination and free, finally, the people of Israel to serve their God in peace and in holiness. That's what Cleopas was expecting, and that's who he thought Jesus was. That very particular car, a Volkswagen but when he began to scope out all the pieces that he had on his garage floor, he noticed that he just couldn't make some of them fit. They didn't fit with that picture. He rattles those off beginning in verse 19. You know, he says to Jesus, aren't you aware of all the things that have been going on here in Jerusalem of late? And Jesus kind of coyly says, well, what things are you talking about? And then Cleopas begins to rattle them off. Well, Jesus, he was a prophet, we thought, powerful in word and in deed, and yet our religious leaders, they didn't seem to think much of him, and they handed him over to be crucified. There's that line, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But now he's dead, and we're seeing angels, and there's an empty tomb. We don't even have a body to show that he ever existed. He doesn't know what to do with all of these pieces. And in particular, it seems what Cleopas is really struggling with is this idea that his Messiah, Redeemer, might suffer. The Messiah, in his mind, was supposed to defeat the pagans, not be defeated by the pagans. And we know this, this is what is is troubling him because it's exactly what Jesus picks up on in verse 26 and he says did not the christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory did not the christ have to suffer these things he had to suffer and so jesus begins his own little bible study with cleopas and his friend and and this is the coolest of scenes if you're going to have a bible study wouldn't you like to have a bible study with jesus And Jesus walks them through scripture from beginning to end. And he shows them the biblical picture of what the Messiah was. Okay? And he shows them exactly where suffering fits. He shows them that it's really been part of the Messiah's job description since the very beginning. Jesus takes all the parts on the garage floor that that Cleopas doesn't seem to know what to do with and he puts them exactly in the right place. Basically, one of the things he says to Cleopas is, look, you can't pick and choose your texts. You can't be all about Isaiah 9 and then skip over Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 9? It's wonderful. Messiah, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He will reign forever with justice and righteousness. And Jesus says, yeah, that's a wonderful text, but you can't, you can't skip over Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. It was God's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Jesus is letting Cleopas know that suffering has been a part of the plan from the very, very beginning. But I don't want you to imagine that Jesus or what he was doing here was just a lot of proof texting either. I think what Jesus did was he gave Cleopas a new picture, a more complete picture of the Messiah and of the redemption that he was supposed to bring. You get that idea that Cleopas not only couldn't fit suffering into his picture of the Messiah, but overall Cleopas had this truncated view of the Christ. He had a view of the Christ in which the Messiah would be more of a spot remover kind of Messiah. A spot remover. And and Jesus, Jesus disappointed in that regard. Now, what do I mean by a spot remover Jesus, you might ask? Well, we all know how spot removers work, Right? Um, a spot is something you get on your clothes and it's, it's noticeable, right? It stands out, it's prominent, and it needs immediate attention. And so we haul out a little spray and wash and we douse the thing and we move on with our lives, happy as, happy as ever. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem what? Israel. Not the whole world. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. Israel. Israel needed redemption. That was the spot. Jesus was supposed to remove it. Remove Israel's pain, Jesus. Remove Israel's suffering. That's why you came, right? N.T. Wright comments here that in this regard, Cleopas and his friend, he says, are are reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. He says, they saw it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. When really it was the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. You have to hear that correctly. Those two are very different. They were reading it as the story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. And Wright says it's really the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering suffering. The Bible is about God's redemption, a very particular kind of redemption. It's a redemption through suffering. And you and I are just as much into spot removing, I think, as as Cleopas was. It's sort of of the way our world works. We move or we work at removing suffering sort of on a case-by-case basis, right? It's like it's like the surge center bring in the next patient bring in the next tonsil case or whatever it is the problem is with that is there are so many cases it begins to overwhelm us there's so many spots that need removing last week for instance i was trying to fix my dishwasher the original problem was electrical and so you know I had to pull the whole thing out and I was messing around I had to buy a a junction box and I put that up in the basement and made sure it was all wired correctly so that the house wouldn't burn down all of that stuff great put it back turn on the water well now the water feed is leaking so you got to pull it back out you run over to Menards or Home Depot or your favorite home center you get another feed line you install all that turn the water on oh it's great turn the dishwasher on and then uh, the hose is leaking the the dispatch hose, so you pull it all out again, you do it all over again, and you're just trying to fix these spots, right? One after the other, after the other, after the other. And then you feel like you're trying to bail out the Titanic. You ever feel that way? Or you're, you're sticking your fingers in the dike and you're running out of fingers. What do you do? Life can overwhelm us in that regard. And Cleopas obviously had this view of his Messiah. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he would plug more holes than he did. And he really didn't even plug the main hole. Jesus let us down. And this is why Jesus, you know, he hauls out his Bible and he goes way back to the very beginning and he says, let's let's look at this again. And I believe he, he started with the creation account. And he said, remember, remember what happened here. Adam and Eve sinned. And the whole fabric of creation was stained. It wasn't just one spot or two spots. It was the whole thing. Everything fell out of sync. The whole world was out of plumb. It's like, it's like you feel after you go through airport security, right? You're all discombobulated. And that's what the world is like. It's, it's discombobulated, says Jesus. And what you need is you need somebody to come and recombobulate everything. The whole world, not just you, the whole world needs recombobulating. And, and you're a part of that world. You're not forgotten You're a part of that world. That was Jesus' mission, recombobulating the whole thing. There's there's a story in in Luke chapter 7. We didn't didn't go over it when we went through this series, but Jesus is visiting a little town called called Nain, and when he gets there, he stumbles upon a funeral that's already taking place, funeral of a young man who has died. And Luke takes great pains to tell us that this isn't just sort of a one-spot kind of thing. He says, this boy or this man was the son of a woman, the only son of a woman, and that woman happened also to be a widow. And what that means is that when this son died, she died as well. A widow in an ancient culture like this really couldn't survive on her own. When he died, she died. In other words, when Jesus raised this young man from the dead, he didn't just save this little boy's life or this young man's life. He saved his mother's life as well. It was sort of like a chain reaction. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is, look, all of the spots, right, they're all connected They're all connected to one another. The healings, my healings, they're like a chain reaction. When I was a kid, um, one of the greatest Christmas presents my parents ever got me was um, a Cox model van. If you're not familiar with Cox engines, uh, a lot of people had model planes that had little gas engines. Well, my little gas engine was actually in a van, right? And and so I remember this thing was it was really cool. You you actually had to put fuel in the thing, and then you hooked up a battery to it, and it had kind of a glow plug, and you could start it, and it was a it was a regular sort of gas engine. There was only one problem, and that was we would gas that thing up, and we would hook up the battery, and then you had to turn this little crank um, on the back side, and it would sputter and it would sputter, and then it would. You know it would catch fire for just a little bit and and then it would die out again and then you'd sputter and sputter and sputter and then it would catch and it would go a little bit longer and you get your hopes way up like this thing is finally going to run and then it would die out again i did this kind of thing not just for days or weeks it was for months i've got really strong thumb finger action just from that one little car but it was incredibly disappointing when the thing didn't catch on and it didn't run and some people were a little disappointed actually very disappointed with Jesus in the same way right they saw his miracles they saw one spot cleaned and and then perhaps a little chain of spots like it was catching on but then the healing just seemed to die out and stop right there and and they were disappointed But they really shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been. The gospel writer John calls these kinds of healings signs. He says they're signs. In other words, they point to something larger than themselves. Okay? And we have to recognize that. Jesus Jesus didn't come just to heal a few people here and there and leave others to suffer. He didn't come to raise, you know, one young man from the dead and leave the others buried in the ground. That's what we tend to think sometimes because we don't understand what it means to be a sign. C.S. Lewis says that only a fool would mistake a sign for Chicago for the actual city. When you see the sign, you're you're not there in the city yourself. And Jesus' miracles, they were never intended to heal the whole world. They were never intended to heal the whole world or to bring in the kingdom in all of its completion. Rather, they were pointers, pointers to how he was going to restore all things one day. What he was saying is that, look, I'm I'm, I'm starting this little engine now, but but one day it's going to catch fire and it's going to run and it's going to run and it's going to run and no one's going to be able to stop it at all. going to be like yeast, says Jesus. You throw it in a batch of dough and it begins to permeate its way through the entire batch. Quietly, but thoroughly. Thoroughly pushing death out and replacing it with new life. But Jesus says, in order for that to happen, I can't just You know, raise this person from the dead and raise that person from the dead. In order for that to happen, then first, I actually have to be planted in the ground myself. It's that suffering thing. Jesus says, I actually have to be buried in the ground along with all of your offenses and all of your betrayals and all of your guilt and all of your shame. open your scriptures open your bibles says jesus let me show you remember cain cain and abel he says i had to suffer cain's murderous envy remember david he says i had to experience david's abuse of power i had to be objectified like bathsheba I had to be stolen from my husband and my family. I had to be alone and powerless, completely powerless. I had to carry that weight with me, says Jesus. I had to be alone. I had to die alone. I had to take all of that weight and bury it in the ground. I had to redeem through suffering. And I had to bring a new way of life into existence in that way. And that's what the risen Jesus has been doing ever since. Like yeast in a batch of dough, his risen life is permeating this world, healing not just the the individual spots that we see, but healing a whole chain of spots that we don't see, we don't recognize, we don't even know that they're there, we don't know how they're connected. But we have faith that, yes, Jesus' risen life is permeating its world through this creation, That's our hope. That's our hope. That his life didn't end there in the grave, but he rose from the grave. And when he did, he's bringing his life to all of us. Not just healing my spot or your spot, but all of our spots. And friends, before I end... And I'm almost done. I just want to mention one last thing, and that gets back to the sadness and the confusion in this text. There's a lot of sadness, and and when you look at the story from our point of view, from our position, you kind of wonder why. Because Cleopas and his friend, they weren't really alone, were they? I mean, Jesus was there. The living Jesus was there with them, walking with them, talking with them. The problem, in a sense, was theirs. They just didn't recognize him. And they didn't recognize him because he didn't fit their expectations. And friends, What gives us trouble in life sometimes is we're just like Cleopas. You know, we think, well, Jesus didn't heal my spot, or he didn't remove my spot, and so he must not be the one. And we've sort of got that wrong, don't we? And notice, in Cleopas' position, Jesus doesn't run to him He doesn't wipe away his tears, and he doesn't say, or he doesn't, I should say, pop into his life sort of like a genie from the bottle. He doesn't run up to Cleopas and say, hey, here I am, everything's okay. Because then Cleopas would still have the wrong Savior in his mind. What Jesus does instead is he sends him back to Scripture. And he says, go back here and read this word because in the Bible you will see exactly who I am. And when you actually know who I am and who it is that you're looking for, you will see that I've been here with you all the time. And I am still here with you now. Jesus will never leave us or desert us. If you came here this morning, just one Easter morning out of a year, and hoped you were going to meet Jesus, I'm not sure that you will. But if you go into his word, and you read his word over and over and over, you will see Jesus. I guarantee it. The living Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are here among us this morning. Open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our hearts that we may believe it. Open our minds that we may understand what your word is saying to us. That we may understand the description of the Messiah Of the son of god when we read it open our hearts our minds our eyes our ears and then show yourself to us that we may worship you in joy and in gladness this is our prayer in jesus name amen